Welcome to Sculpture Vulture. I'm Lucy Branch, a sculptural conservator and author, bringing you a series of interviews with some amazing sculptors who inspire me and I hope will do the same for you. You can see the photographs accompanying the interview, the episode show notes and get a free novel from sculpturevulture.co.uk. Hello everyone and thank you for joining me. Today I'm going to be interviewing Mike Speller, who is a distinctive figurative sculptor working in bronze. He's gained an international reputation and was named the official artist of the BT Art of Sport programme for the 2012 London Olympics. Based in London, he's got a very strong presence in the UK's public spaces and I first noticed his work as I took one of my favourite walks towards the Tate Britain and noticed his sculpture outside of the iconic Millbank Tower. I liked it instantly. It had an incredible presence and for me, it spoke to my heart of dashing through life especially in London, and yet the figure in the centre seemed calm. Now, I understand from Mike that he had a pretty different interpretation from that when he created it, but that's the wonderful thing about sculpture. We all see different things in it. It's a different book, depending on who looks at it, who reads it. And today, I decided I'd kick off our chat by asking him if he'd always been creative. Been creative all, all my life in different guises, really. I suppose to start to think about that, well, the first thing was I, I created my own mobile beach cocktail bar, and 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 designed <laughs> designed it, and I ended up taking it to Corfu and doing a summer in Corfu. So it was there was a commercial element to it, but it was also a um, it, the most important thing to me was just creating something that had never been created before, and this this was like a a big ball wheel wheelbarrow, but we, we built up with um, a wooden structure and uh, a trap door underneath, a parasol with a, a parriot called Harriet hanging off the side of it, and uh, and 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 crushed ice underneath, and and and, and, and loads of cocktails. And I, the funny thing with it, the whole idea was it was to move, but basically it never moved because everyone ran to me and were <laughs> were so enthusiastic about this mad thing on the beach. That, that I always had cues, and I was then in, in brochures the next summer for all, all over the court, all the uh, marketing people. That's fantastic. I mean, that's but that's really entrepreneurial as well. No, it's it exactly, and then then progressing from that, my catering element was where I started. In as much as that, that's what I did at college. I had a catering management uh, uh, course at Oxford Poly, as it was then, um, and then I went on to started my own catering business which again was a a little bit unusual it was we're talking a hell of a long time ago now but it was a the first sort of de delivery service this is before even pizzas were delivered or they're just starting to be but this was an upmarket delivery service with um monkfish monkfish and prawns sort of pies and loads of exotic ingredients and i was racing around in a dinner jacket serving these two in blackheath and greenwich um, and I love that. Yeah, it, was, it was again. It was utterly crazy. But what the origin of a lot of this was was my uh, enthusiasm for an idea, and then and then then creating it. And and what never seemed to happen is it, it didn't have that much longevity because actually the maintaining it was was less less exciting than the creation of it. 
but it, it went on to uh, my catering business then went into a more formal role but with a, uh, a mad kitchen at the back of uh, of an open plan delicatessen where we'd just go up to the markets in the morning and just cook whatever inspired us so again so again a, 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 a creative element there i can see that you're thinking up ideas you are actually bringing them to fruition there because lots of people do have fantastic ideas but actually being able to manifest that creativity is another element it's a whole other dimension yeah no i think so and also with that when i've moving on to sculpture having a, a catering background where if if you're slightly out you're totally wrong you know food that's gone cold or gone off or just doesn't visually look right yeah you, you you're flawed you you haven't got a good finished product so coming into um to sculpture after that i had a quite a strength and character of deadlines and seeing something through because you have to and being decisive and i think a lot of the creative elements are uh, within people people it, you you it's very easy to be hesitant and sometimes that's for very good reason but to move through that after being hesitant for the good reasons and then pushing on and through is 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 is, is a training from a, a different sort of background i think has helped me i'm absolutely a hopeless cook i wish i wasn't but i, I burn absolutely <laughs> everything and the reason is because i get very distracted i tend to start reading novels in the middle of cooking things and everything burns but i've been watching um professional bake-off where you get these fantastic chefs from the the big hotels competing against each other doing these desserts and i can see the sculptural essence behind what they do you and and the techniques i'm forever watching and thinking oh i'm going to try that back at the studio because they've got all these clever well, that, yeah. devices and very quick ways of doing things that actually i would have thought oh they'd take ages and they don't no through necessity really yeah um, you know, you, you have you have it has to be practical. It has to be efficient within within cooking yeah. um, to a certain degree. And I, I do remember once a friend of mine who a very good friend who's uh, she's a paint, still a painter. But she saw I'd, I'd done a big buffet for her parents. So I know the family. And I, she was saying a comment as a very positive thing. And I took it just the opposite. Where she said, oh, well, that looks almost artistic. And I thought, whoa, 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 hold on a second here. <laughs> this is artistic. It's in a different form. Um, and uh, these were, bear in mind, these are the days where uh, these days it, within catering and food and everything else, everyone sees the uh, the, the skills and the, and, and the artistic element. But go back uh, 30, 40 years ago, it, it, w- it wasn't quite the mm. same thing. It was it was looked at a, as a sort of second uh, not not didn't have the same status as it does now. So, so so when did sculpture wander into your life? Well, that well that 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 was I I I, I can I, I can give credit to my wife Sarah for that. I've always been a bit of a workaholic. So when my catering business took off, I was there six days a week, minimum twelve hours a day, and truly creative. I'd get there six in the morning, and everything you saw in the delicatessen. I had made that morning and so it was it was a feat of energy and endurance every day to create this whole visual display of food each day but she could see that 
this is something that was not going to last forever in as much as I was absolutely exhausting myself. And she said, well, what you've got to do is something separate from, from what you're doing. You need to do an evening class. You need to do something. And um, I ended up doing a, a, an evening class in sculpture, surprise, surprise. And when I picked up the clay and started just molding with it and everything, I got totally obsessed with creating my vision in, in, in my head. And to the point that even when I was driving along in the, in, in, in the car on times, I one hand had some, uh, I'm sure this wouldn't be very good for health and safety, but I had, I had some clay in one hand trying to sort of fiddle and model. And, and so it became a, uh, a very much a, a focus of everything. And within a year of starting that, I'd sold my catering business and found myself a studio in, in, in Deptford in London, which is a charnel house, which is a 14th century place where actually people pre-burial or couldn't afford to be buried. The bones were stored in this, this uh, uh, building within, within the graveyard. And I was given a free opportunity to just use the space for a time and that gave me the opportunity to develop and 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 uh, gain some knowledge uh, so isn't that funny uh, that was like falling in love or something yeah it sounds like an instant uh rapport that you had with the clay just as if it's been waiting for you and suddenly you were there and and because i mean i don't think many people would think within a year Oh, this is this is for me a hundred percent. It sounds like it only took seconds. Well, it was it was it was really weird. I, I mean, it was a it was a it was a it was a screaming head that I'd done, and it was it was obviously an emotion that I felt very very clearly inside me of something wanting to burst out and go in a different direction. And I I sort of articulated it in this one piece. And immediately when you start into sculpture, I think you suddenly get a bit. You wake up with a bump of the process takes a long time if you're doing plaster molds initially and chipping away and doing resin and learning. There's so many skills to learn. Um, and, yeah. and I became quite obsessive in trying to discover ways of learning. I went to Chelsea and did a part-time degree there. But a lot of things I'd, I learned from people that were, again, working with certain things like, like plaster. I found a company that mm. does specialist plaster work for really posh houses and they, they do all the architraving one-offs and calculate different shapes to do a, a, a plaster dome for a building and they were brilliant and I they allowed me to work alongside them and they taught me mold making and things like that basically 90% doing on my own because they were busy what they were doing but the elements that they gave me and advised me on were very practical very efficient and got the job yeah. done commercially in a successful way but that's brilliant because you're no threat to them you're not trying to take business off them you're just trying to learn something and take it in your own direction so that's a brilliant way of learning and I think it's people with very tiny niches that you can really learn so much from I did a brilliant course last year it might have been yeah it was just the end of last year uh with um it was plaster again but you know they do these Venetian finishes yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. with the plaster yeah, and it's clever. really really clever yeah. and technical and I turned up and I was I wanted to learn about their metallic finishes to see whether there was anything within that I could use within conservation for uh certain finishes that we have to replicate 
And of course, the only thing is the first thing they did is put a bucket of plaster down in front of me and said, so you just have to plaster that wall first. <laughs> well, I've never, I never plastered anything in my yeah, life. And, and, I was like, ah, this could take a well, while. Is, uh, and plaster is a funny thing, isn't it? When you get to know it, it the, the, it's your friend in as much as you can do so many things with it. But um, initially, it's just the opposite. You hesitate and it's gone off before you've done anything. I well, I came home and my husband was like, I was like, you know, I could just plaster that bathroom this weekend that you've been like hanging around not doing for ages. <laughs> no, that's, but, oh, but that's brilliant. the glory of it, isn't it? Um, it's, it's just a whole discovery of a whole new area that you you haven't uh, even considered before. And suddenly yeah. it's there's skills and there's technique and there's and there's um, creative elements that you can take it in your own direction to discover your own way of utilising so, it. You were mentioning clay, um, but were you interested in plaster? So I'm presuming you were quite drawn to the carving aspect as well. Well, I think plaster, what's great when you're learning early doors, is you can put on and you can take off. Now, if you're just carving, you know, you, you, you go wrong or you're, you're, you never go wrong, but you go in a direction that you weren't planning and you can't retrace your steps. With plaster, mm. the beauty of it is you can carve off and you can, you can add and subtract all the time. Therefore, once you get into the rhythm of it just going off at a certain pace, you you can find your own way in your own direction quite easily. I, I quite a lot, few of my early pieces were plaster, and it yeah. also made me going back to the sort of dynamic of working fast and instinctive. Plaster gives you that opportunity. I, I remember one of my early pieces which was commitment. And this was it. I was then in an open plan studio with about three or four other sculptors. And one of the sculptors had to be in there when I was doing this. And I, I don't think I've ever done it since. I completed a piece within uh, a couple of hours, which became a very successful piece. But looking on, he was uh, staggered that it just, it just came together. And it, wasn't, it was a little bit abstract. So it wasn't like there was an obvious direction to go in. But it, 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 but plaster gives you that that sort of confidence and rhythm that you actually stop thinking too much about what you're doing. You just instinctively put some more on because it's it's ready to go. And certain as it's starting to go off, the texture that you're going to obtain on the piece is different. So you can achieve different things as it's going less and less fluid. Um, and so yeah. it, it's 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 quite a lovely play off. Of, or, or, or when you get into the in, into the zone, if you like, you get that flow state. Yeah. is just something such a special thing, yeah. I think. And um, there, I don't think there's any correlation whatsoever between people think, oh, something has taken eight years, it must be much more of a masterpiece than something that's taken two hours. But actually, absolutely no correlation with how brilliant something can be and how what time it takes you. When you look at some of the literary greats, the novels that have been written, and you realise some of those were written so fast and people with, that have laboured eight years over a book, you know, no <laughs> one wants to read it. No, <laughs> It's a load of old rubbish. Yeah. No, it's, it's, tr it's so true that. And one thing that I... That in fact, when I progressed on to working in clay and things like that, the one thing I, that I thought was was sort of missing when you've got a completed piece that either works for you or doesn't, is actually the person who's who's either buying or receiving the piece or looking at the piece, it 
is missing the exciting bit, which is when it's being created where you're not quite sure where you're going with it. And when, when the hairs on the back of your neck are sort of go, go up because you're just in, 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 into what you're doing and you're, you're just truly in, in the moment. And what I've done, uh, did again quite early, was decide to write down some of the thoughts that I were ha was having prior to starting on a piece, during and, and sometimes a bit after. And I'm using the text to imprint on the final piece the story of the process. So if I've got a, 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 a strong thought at the beginning, I'll put those words down. And as it develops, I'll put other words down and that will be imprinted into the clay and therefore will go on to the bronze. And you've got that lovely story evolving of the closest I can get to the actual creative process, which is the finished piece, but also the thought behind that piece. But, you know, also it's so clever because of all the things that are lost, I find, over time, even when you write long and important documents that are supposed to relate to a project, somehow they seem to diverge from the, the object itself. So we have to do quite a lot of report writing with conservation about what's happened to the object, why it's happened, etc. Yeah. Nine times out of ten, when you try to find out about somebody else's project that they may have worked on 20 years ago, somehow that document has, has gone. Maybe it got years ago, it would have been filed away and no one ever saw it yeah. again. And these days, even digitally, for some reason, it seems to be incredibly hard. But actually, what you're doing is you're uniting your thoughts and there will never be a separation from those words now and that piece of work. People will always be able to engage with the two pieces of sort of connection that they have together, those words and that and that shape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very clever to keep, you know, probably thousands of years it will still be connected together. Yeah, and it, and it just also, it just provides a lovely texture. So half the time, it's not always that legible, but the texture mm. it produces, particularly when you're playing with patina and stuff, you've got deeps texture it's sort of pitted all over the surface. So therefore, it just gives um, uh, uh, more energy to the piece. Yeah. So do you have a creative practice particularly to get you in that lovely flow state do you have a routine that you do every day no not really i mean i think the 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 biggest test for new pieces is whether i can remember i have a thought i don't tend to sketch very much i don't tend to write a lot down and if that stays with me in my head for a period of time you normally filter it down and it becomes more refined in your head or the alternative to that is you forget all about it. And I, and I think that's quite a – I've always had lots of ideas, but if, if it holds with you, I, I believe it's maybe a stronger concept, and therefore your, your edit is, is your memory. Having said that, I'm getting a bit older now, I think my memory isn't quite as good as it was. So maybe for the future I might have to question that a bit, but up until now that's been a good, a good way of working. But the thing is that there is something about – kind of echoes that happen with ideas sometimes I have an idea and then it does float away from me but somehow it I see it again something reminds yes. me and it comes back yes. to me which is uh, always as you say it's a good test of whether it's got quality because it's almost like a ball that bounces back to you yes. and if it's a good one you're going to catch hold of it yes and as, as, so, as you rightly said you know you, you you get reminded of it sometimes from a totally different direction and I like yeah. things that are, are playing in lots of different ways 
um, but telling the same story and received in in different ways. So if if you do get reminded of it in a totally different circumstance, I think I think that that is a reassuring moment, really. Mm. Uh, and so, where are you seeking your inspiration? Are you out there looking at, outside at the world, or is it quite an internal, creative process? I, I think it's human frailty. Which let's start with my own. So that's where it starts. But it's it's trying to get a a, a balance within oneself and 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 in with with one's community. And a lot of my pieces. When you look at them, they, they they are playing in a literal sense with balance. But it's about trying to get a balance in your life. And surprise, surprise, none of us are perfect. And, and we have different skills and qualities. And it's trying to make the best of what we've got in many respects. And a lot of yeah. the, my, my pieces are, are quite a bit offline. They're not they they're not as straightforward as the first first way the first approach of something. You look at it and it looks kind of very straightforward but then you you see the angles of things and it's actually isn't quite what you expect and so hopefully that my belief in with that really is then you look into more detail to what it's about so so i i always go back to food with these sort of things and if if it it, you know receiving trying to create a interesting piece of work may be the same as an interesting um dish and you know if you've got a uh a curry for example and if you if you Look at look at um, a, a plate of, of, of food. Firstly, it's got to appeal to you, but after you've 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 gone beyond that, and you said, "Yeah, no, I'm I'm looking at this. I'm interested. I'm going to taste it." Then you're you're then it's no good if it just is very hot. You want to find the depth of other flavors as you as 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 you consume it and find nuances and other details in it. And it's the same thing. With a, with a sculpture or any piece of art that you're you're looking for layers to be within what you're producing I think but then also it keeps you interested as well because as much as you want your audience to stand and 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 see different things in it I think if there isn't those extra layers and flavors in the sculptural <laughs> form actually it's not going to keep you I mean, your your attention there either, is it? It's going to it's going to have to have more than just the odd idea. There's going to have to be more that comes together to keep you with it. I would imagine. Yeah, I think I think that's right. And it and it's 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 a constant question about oneself and 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 things happening around you that that um, reflect keep you stimulated in different ways of presenting your individual world and, and the world around you. And so why bronze particularly? I know that you have worked in other materials as well, but you seem to have quite a dominant sort of portfolio of bronze. I think I think it's I, I think it's a really wonderful medium because it's it's got so many it can be used in so many different ways. It's a very flexible metal. It's it, it's it, the patinas you can get from it are marvelous. But do you a lot of people wouldn't know, wouldn't know that you can actually spread bronze. And this is my old foundry um, when I had three old boys, very small foundry, my first foundry that uh, sadly is no longer in existence. But they used the, the, the old bronze, had, uh, which isn't the silica bronze that's used today, had much more lead in it. And mm-hmm. the reason it had more lead, or one of the reasons, is in the olden days, they couldn't weld. They had to just fix to, if you look at the sculptures in London, the really the ones over, so let's say, a hundred years old or whatever, yeah. um, 
basically each section that's poured needed to be sort of wedged into the other section because they wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't be welding it. And therefore, they would make a Roman joint, which is, if you imagine it, a shoulder and an arm, one would be slightly narrower than the other, and you'd bang it into place. But there'd be holes on both the inner section and the outer section, which are slightly offline, so that when you bang it in, you then, when you can see part of the hole underneath, you have a, a bronze nail that you bang in to the... To, and it pulls it in tighter and tighter so that the joint is safe and you have pins all the way around the joint. Now, at that point, you've got you can still see where it's come on to the, the two sections of joint together and where the pins are. But because there was so much lead in it, you could actually then cut off the end of the nail of bronze and then spread it with a flat sort of chisel and the joint would disappear. And uh, a lot of the, the, the pieces, uh, the old, old sculptures, are not only in this country, but around the world, would have been done like that. But you don't see the joints. And mm -hmm. I did that on a piece. I was trained how to do that by Bill, who was one of the old boys working at the foundry. And I did that on site because it was a practical way of solving uh, installation. And I felt like a million dollars at the end of it, that I'd achieved something that is, is uh, a bronze process that goes back so long. Well, can I tell you um, a rude name that we call it when we come across any of the bronze, <laughs> any of the bronze that has got a little bit of lead in it, because it's much harder to patinate, obviously. Um, we call it bastard brass. <laughs> That's the name. But, it, but, it, so, but I, I disagree with you with the, I mean, obviously, if you're trying to achieve a specific thing and you're used to silica bronze, fine. But it just achieves different things. Uh, yeah, but you have to remember that I'm my work. We are trying to match something yes, well, and that that's has aged uh, very, yeah, yeah. very over a long yeah. period of time. So we're not trying to replicate a new patina. We've got to try, and sometimes it fights you. And the more we we find that the more lead it has in it, the little bit it's a little bit less. We kind of say it's it's a bit mulish. It kind of yeah. doesn't want to do as it's told. Oh, well, that's but, um, yeah. No, that's fascinating because. No, uh, well, that explains a lot because the the old boys that would, would when they were patinering my work then would always struggle to be consistent of what they did. You know, we yes. did a really incredible uh, patina, and I said, "I'll oh, do that again," and they couldn't go anywhere close to it. Um, and I think it was a combination of of maybe the lead in the, the bronze and also their artisan approach which was you know a bucket of of chemicals put in the arch overnight with uh, big uh, plumes of smoke yeah. which are were obviously designed to kill and they'd leave it overnight yeah. and all the all the metal would melt in this in this mix and they would use yeah. that for the patina for the next day or the next month and it gets contaminated, it's contaminated yeah. so it's always changing and we got some most incredible things but also some more Awful, awful messes. <laughs> well, actually, funnily enough, the uh, leaded bronze is the uh, is the foundation of the story. My first book that I wrote because oh. uh, I write fiction, yeah. and it's all about leaded bronze because it's also a story about alchemy. And so you might be able to guess the kind of connection yes. between leaded bronze yes. and then. Yes. Uh, and so that's that was the whole basis of my uh, first book that I wrote because it kind of intrigued me about. And I, I thought you know, some, someone has to write 
something about alchemy which is contemporary yeah and so i tied it in with the leaded bronze idea so i'm gonna have to read there you that. go I'm very read... nice segue yeah yeah no absolutely yeah no, that, oh, that's fascinating so have you had any problems with bronze has it been difficult for you at all I, again with um in the early days the 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 we the most interesting issue we had which could have been an absolute disaster and i must emphasize it's not the foundry i use now but it, but it, we we basically sandcasted um, a big circle, which was my first early circles, and they mm-hmm. therefore the circle well, it's about an eight foot circle, and it was solid bronze in four sections. So they had to weld and fix the four sections together, and they did that successfully. It's, the other mistake I made though was I didn't go for a professional um, shipper. It was the client's own builder that came with a flatbed and picked it up. And he put it the circle upright, which had a, a figure that was suspended in the middle of the circle, which was quite weighty, and just tied it to all four corners standing up on a, on a rocky base. And it went around the M25. I left it because they said they're going to drive slowly. And I eventually was going about half an hour behind them. And I came just off the M25 and there was a huge traffic jam. I thought, God, what is this? I'm not going to get to the client in time before the ring gets there. And eventually I worked out that the road was totally congested because my ring had burst off the trailer into four different sections and all the welds had come off. And it wasn't so much the bad world. It was the pressure of pulling in four different directions on this as it was rocking and traveling yeah. for over an hour so that was oh my god i feel sick well i i, I was just so relieved no one was no one was hurt i mean it burst across the whole oh. of the road but this was a oh small goodness. road but it, it could have been headlines on the m25 but um oh. so it was it was a major one but i've got to emphasize this was this was not any one that i use now and it's never it never happened since and it's also it's such a learning curve you know you I've never, I've always focused on anything being transported now, um, you know, yeah. I, 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 and, uh, and make sure that, we, you know, everything's being done the right way. Well, again, uh, talking about niches, it's one of those things that I get asked quite a lot to if we can move X and Y. And I just say no, because it's not my area. Yeah. And there are people that are brilliant at that. And they are the people I would recommend. And there are other people, you know, everybody knows their area, but you, you just, there's no way you could get a builder to do as big project over in the centre of town near near the Houses of Parliament, yeah. and I remember them saying um, they had this huge roof they wanted patinating, and they just got the builder to do it. And of course, what happened? <laughs> Seven million pounds worth of bronze roof, and the whole bronze went black because yeah. they never patinated anything in their lives. They got, got no you know? chance of doing so it. Yeah, absolutely. And there's one of used and there's one of used iron. Yes, you know, yes. and saved themselves a load of money. Yeah. So has there been any commission that has really stood out for you and that you've been really proud of to the extent that you thought if I never do anything again it's all right because I've done this well I, I, I think I think I've, I've had that lovely warm feeling of a few times of, of pieces that I've completed but it doesn't last long you go straight it's always the it's the classic answer it's always the next piece isn't it but I yeah. but I I've had and and with sculpture it it's it, not only do you have to be proud of the piece but it's it's the location which you don't always have full control over 
So it's a combination of the two. And I've um, one of my pieces, Harmony, is uh, again we're describing the same large circle, eight foot circle, with a figure that's suspended in the middle of it. And I've got one of the edition in a lake in west of Ireland, and it they they bought they actually made a a a stone uh, walkway out to it onto the lake from the house, and. The skies you get in west of Ireland are absolutely beautiful, and all you've got is water and sky around this circle. And it's just, and it, it doesn't really matter. Every time I see images of of it, it it it's always different, but it has the majesty, and the majesty is obviously the sculpture, but the location is it has to be right. And and really, when you're do, doing it, and other pieces, I've had the same sort of feeling, but you install it walk i always turn my back on the piece walk away and go to a, a quite a distance and then turn and if it feels like it's been there for the last hundred years surely it's right you know and, and done the job yeah right. and, it, and it's that feeling of forever when it when you turn round, which doesn't always happen obviously but it when it does you know you've got it right well i wondered if there was anywhere that if you could have a shout out now to someone who's commissioning where is there a place you'd like to see one of your sculptures? Well, I've, I'm fortunate I've got, got yeah, a pu- public piece of work. Um, I've got a few in London, but I'd, at one point I got really close to doing a really big piece for the Olympics, which was going to be the, like the equivalent of the Angel of the, the, angel of the South. <laughs> we need yeah. an Angel yeah. of the South. And I thought for, for one of the main roads, one of the main entries, it was, it was, it was, planned along the a13 but it could have been any of the main key roads coming into london it would that would would be fabulous to have a a statement in, in the town that i live in the city that i live in and something that would be recognized as part of of that city would be fantastic yeah that sounds great actually yeah but um especially as it's got a meaning to you particularly well yeah i mean one of my very early public pieces was um in, our, in fact, that was in a hospital, a, a brand new hospital in Newham. And um, it took me a time to, to really work this out. But when it came to the opening, I got my dad along and it was opened by the Secretary of State for Health and stuff like that. So it was quite an exciting moments. The first time I'd had anything done like that. And my dad at the end said, you realise this would have been only a, you know this would have been the, the equivalent of the local hospital of where your mum would have been born and my mum had died uh, 20 years earlier than that and it just made me think wow the powerful power, how, what a privilege to have a piece of work which is part of my beginnings yeah. part of my history obviously it, it was a piece for the hospital and for other people to share but for my own personal history i just i thought wow that is that is utterly amazing and it would have been literally within a a mile of where my mum was born um uh, so it it, it's it's things like that that make it special so uh anything you're working on at the moment anything that's on the currently on the bench well the incredible things i'm very lucky that the foundry has kept going in the current crisis yes and we we just got a commission just prior to it for a big piece in michigan in the states and we, we are ticking along with that. And it's going to be a, a, a huge sphere, uh, which I'm very excited about. Um, it's, it's a quite a, a complex piece. It's 
How Maybe. huge is huge? Well, it's it actually in in size of uh, of sphere. It's only about eight foot, but it's it but it's it's made in twenty seven different sections. So the pouring is twenty different sections, and it's it's hollow inside. So it's 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 extraordinarily complicated to get to look right. So you've got a polished bronze inside and details of two hundred and ten figures that are making the circle up. Um, and it's their connection that is, is the story of the piece. Brilliant. So, um, and it's, it's never going to be right till you finish the last piece because it's because you're seeing in it and through it, every element is has, it's either a, a perfect circular, circular in shape or it's not. And if it's not, it's not right. So wow. we're, we've got, we're, we have whole different techniques about producing it to ensure that we've got the shape right once we've when we're pouring each section um we actually make when we get it in the wax we don't take it out of the mold we actually put ceramic shell on one side then take it out of the mold therefore we're ensuring as much as we can that the shape the the won't bend in the wax at all so you've got it very precise so, each so it section, sounds like you're quite hands-on at the foundry well i i think you have to understand it you don't create anything thinking about how it's made but once it is create, created or you're creating it the understanding and the sympathies and in 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 this case you get involved you have to get involved in the process and it's a team effort isn't it in the end yep, of the roll day roll up your sleeves and get stuck yeah. in yeah <laughs> and also there's such a joy in that i mean it's such an exciting process why wouldn't you why would yeah. you want to miss out on that i you know i, I spend a lot of time on my waxes probably more than most people so each of my waxes even though it's an addition of 12 they're all slightly different because i'm i thought oh i could change this a little bit yeah. <laughs> and you and that's the beauty of the, the that stage in the bronze process it was playing with the wax and changing a bit uh, of it and uh, adapting to the client that i'm actually creating it for so tell everyone where they can find out more about you if they'd like to which i'm sure they're going to <laughs> Well, obviously, my website's the the, the obvious one. Well, it's, um, uh, at um, michaelspeller.com or spellersculptures.com. Both will get you there. I've got uh, a lot of galleries around the country. Clarendon is the main gallery. I've got galleries around the country as well. Um, they're in Dover Street, Central London, Kings Road, and stretching out of London, and then um, a few further north. Do you like social media? Are you on Twitter? Yeah, I've, or got, Instagram? I've got all that. I, 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 in, in truth, I've, I've, I've got a good friend, Sally, who does that for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, Very good. I'm, I'm just so involved in what I'm doing. I just don't have the time to do that. But yes, I am on all the, all the other medium. You, I think you can find me. Just put Michael Speller in and you'll find whichever medium you want to find me in, I guess. Oh, thanks for talking to us today, Michael. You've been great fun. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of great stories. <laughs> and um, hope to be speaking to you again okay, soon. Okay, nice to talk to you, Lucy. There's just so much you could say about Michael Speller. Entrepreneur, chef, artist. On a personal level, I'm very grateful that he transferred his fantastic skill in his hands from his food to his bonds so that we could all enjoy it for an awful lot longer than it would have done, especially if his food is half as good as his art. There would have been no evidence of him left whatsoever. But it just goes to show that although we might be incredibly creative, we're not often aware of our own needs. And 
the artist inside us maybe needs allowing out but that might not be something that we can do for ourselves it was his wife Sarah that saw he needed something else other than work and the thing that I found really interesting was that she didn't just say take a rest which in his hectic life I mean creating all those dishes for the delicatessen every morning she didn't say just you know take it easy go for a walk she encouraged him to do something else adds some other level of effort into his life but she saw that he he needed that and encouraged him to think outside of what he'd been doing already and all I can say is clever Sarah thank you very much next episode I'm going to be talking to Hamish Mackey brilliantly talented wildlife sculptor he handles everything from rearing horses to dung beetles, cheetahs to hares boxing and wild boars to little robins. He really does have oodles of talent, so definitely don't miss that episode. If you're looking for a new book, please consider one of my novels about the dark side of the art world, where sculpture is always at the heart of the story. You can get them on the show website, on the usual online retailers or even better, keep your local library alive, ask for them in there. Thank you for joining me today. Sculpture Vulture has been brought to you by Antique Bronze.